we're fresh back from uh, summer camp. Um, so if, I, if you see the bags under my eyes, I don't think I went to bed before maybe 2.30 every morning for a week. And that's a lot, I have to be honest. But um, camp this year was amazing. We were back in Winthrop. And um, because of you guys, all of you, we get to go and do that camp. And I want you to know that you all individually had part in... Um, 15 kids um, got baptized this last week. Um, it was really moving. Um, the Friday night that we kind of wrapped things up, um, there were eight kids that came up and said, I've never accepted Christ into my heart, and I'd like to do that for the first time, which I'm always blown away when people want to do that. And then you have these other kids that come and they say, you know what, I was sprinkled as a child, but you know what, I want to make a decision as an adult under my own uh, time and place where I say, you know what, I want to be baptized or I want to reaffirm everything I've been taught and, and be baptized. And, and I love that. And we couldn't do it without you. And I don't know where else you go where God moves um, you know, I, I haven't seen 15 people a year in church come forward and accept Christ in a long time in any church I've been in. Um, and so it's pretty amazing to me what God does when you get away and you focus on him for a week without all the distractions and all the things that we have here, how it gives kids an opportunity to really find Christ. Um, one of those kids in particular was like a really fringe kid. He came at the last second. It was a rush to get him there. Um, he goes to high school with my, uh, one of my daughters. And uh, it was a struggle to get that kid signed up and get him to camp. And every single night, um, that kid was in my room or hanging around me, asking me questions about why we need Jesus and why he would need Jesus. And why we believe in the Bible as Christians. And again, I was just taxed with all of these questions. Um, and what was interesting is on that Friday night when we actually gave an altar call for those kids, who do you think the first one was? Pretty awesome. So even those kids that skate in at the last second, um, there's an impact for them. Um, I'll tell you another time all about camp. Um, it, was, it was amazing, but again, um, I applaud this church as a whole for sending 100 people east of the mountains um, to be with Christ for a week, and um, the kingdom of God has changed forever because of the work that everybody here has helped and taken part in, so would you give yourselves a round of applause for your work? Uh, I know God loves that. I'm just really humbled by what went on over there, so if I seem a little... It's a combination of tired and humble. Um, I want you to check out this clip this morning and tell me if, you, if, if any of these things ring true to you. Any of those things ring true? Like, I think we all have to be honest. Like, we can't sit in this place before a holy God and say that, that that's not us at times. Um, I think that story, I think Ryan's story is um, one that my generation lives a lot. Um, I see it around me. Um, I see it in people, I see it in myself on a daily basis. And it makes me ask a question that I want to ask you this morning. Um, who is Jesus to you? 
I think this is a really important question because I think a lot of people can get a lot of things right about Jesus, but what we don't get right about Jesus is the relationship part. We can answer questions, we can spell his name, we can sing songs that include his name, but when it comes to the relationship with Jesus Christ, do we have that part right, or do we just use the name? Um, you know, that whole thing about the plastic Jesus, I think sometimes I carry that plastic Jesus around in my pocket. I think sometimes I neglect that relationship to a point where it can go south. Um, and then I'll pull the plastic Jesus out of my pocket and hold him in my hand, and I'll pray to him like some small idol, and I'll ask him to do some favor for me. Or I'll rub his back and maybe treat him like a genie in a bottle a little bit. Hey, Jesus, I really need you right now. And it makes me think so much about what it takes to walk consistently with Jesus Christ. Um, and I've really thought a lot about who is Jesus. And when my walk is consistent with Jesus Christ, consistent in a way that's deep and overflowing, it's because I remember who I'm walking with. And see, I think that's what, if anything, we need to remind ourselves from time to time, who is Jesus? Like, who is he? And what's he all about? And Colossians 1, 15 through 18 tells us a little bit about that. And I wish I had my glasses on this morning. <laughs> The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Is that the Jesus that I walk with every day? Is that the Jesus that you walk with every day? The image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, that's so much different than the plastic Jesus. That's so much different than the powerless Jesus, the one we neglect or the one that we don't give due to. He created all things in heaven on earth. He holds all things together. He's the head of the body of the church. And when I start to follow that Jesus, my life is different because I'm not following somebody that I can figure out or somebody that I can justify or somebody who I can just look in the eyes and, and you know, know all about. I'm following something so much bigger than I am, so much more powerful than I am. And that's who I want to follow. I don't want to follow the plastic Jesus that I know all about. I want to follow the Jesus that's unpredictable. The Jesus that comes in and changes our lives just when we ask. You don't have to do anything special. Just ask, and he comes in. You know, some people treat Jesus like a listening ear. We only talk to him when we have need. And, you know, you think about that. If you have this opportunity to to meet the queen. You know, I think everybody wants to meet the queen. I, I mean, I don't know, maybe everybody doesn't want to meet the queen, but, you know, if you had that opportunity, you're not going to dash in there. You're not going to run in in a brash way and throw out your list of things to the feet of the queen. You're going to give the queen 
what she's due, respect and honor. And I think about that with Jesus. When we approach the throne of grace, do we give Jesus what he's due? Do we really realize that this is the king of kings and the Lord of all lords when we approach? Or do we just dive in and we just start casting out our requests? You know, the, my generation was spoiled, you know. We've been spoiled by our parents growing up. So we don't know what real gratitude is. It takes a long time to work into that and find it. it separate from Christ, there's no way to find it. But when you think about Jesus, you know, for, for my generation, so easy to just throw it all out there and just say, you know, God is in control of everything, and so he'll take care of it all. Here, let me just throw up on you once a day, God. Instead of that deep reverence that I see in people who've walked with the Lord a long time. I have so much respect for people who've walked with the Lord their entire lives. Um, everybody, you know, the Paul stories are always the, the good ones, the, the, you know, how somebody was so bad and they turned so good, and how God, you know, just got in and tore somebody up, and then the next thing you knew, they were new and whole and clean again. But you know the stories that I really like to hear, honestly? I want to hear the stories of the people who walked with God their entire life who don't have that Paul conversion. They're more the Timothy type. Conversion is awesome, and man... We want it. But there are some people who have just walked with God out of obedience and reverence that somehow grasp who he is. They somehow grasp that he's the king and they have latched on to that and they have followed that. And that is amazing to me. That is amazing. Because for somebody like me, it's my need that brings me to Jesus Christ. It's not all my victories and all the good things going on in my life. It's the need. It's my humanness, who I am. And what I'm all about that drives me to Jesus. I wish it was different. But it's just not. I have something going on inside of me that fights against Jesus. Feels like every day. And I bet you, you do too. I bet you have something going on inside of you that fights with this. That fights with Christ. And sometimes you have to wear that out. Before it can lay down and rest at the feet of Jesus. Sometimes we have to learn as we go. Sometimes we have to learn and relearn and relearn and relearn again. And finally, we grab on to who Jesus really is. And once that starts, we come back a little quicker when we stray away. We ask for forgiveness a little sooner when things don't go well. You know, it's amazing to me that, that we can call ourselves Christians, but this generation today knows very little about who they're supposedly following after. The term Christian or little Christ. There's a generation that doesn't know anything about Jesus, but they would tell you that they're Christian. And you have to ask the question, how do you know that? You know what's sad? We talked about this at camp one night. When I grew up, everywhere I looked, I would see the, the, what, what you and I would know is the most famous verse in all of Scripture. Somebody tell me what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I, knew, I knew that it would come from multiple angles in here. It didn't even take a second. It just came to mind first. Do you know that there's a whole generation that doesn't even know John 3.16? They don't even know what John is. It's tough. When you have to take somebody that knows nothing, you have to start explaining this gospel of grace you know, it's amazing, 
how they grab onto it. When I think that my explanation has been poor and it's been deficient in every way, the Holy Spirit gets involved in it and people understand God's word because the Holy Spirit is all over it. And so when we spit out God's word, whether it's clumsy or not, the Holy Spirit comes in and energizes that word and takes that word and changes somebody's life because we were faithful enough to just speak it. What's going to happen when a whole generation can't speak it because they don't know it? That's the duty of the church. Forget all the other stuff. That's what we're here to do. We are here to preach the gospel. Preach the gospel in every way, shape, and form to everybody who will listen in any way that we can. That is the mission of any church. Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are preaching in a generation of lost people who don't care, who don't want to hear. Jesus is an enhancement to their life. He's not a change. He just makes it a little better. On the hard times, where, you know, you think about faith in the past, it was life-changing. It changed the life. It didn't just come alongside of it and make it a little better here and there. You know, it's funny how many people call me and say, pray for us. People that don't know know Christ, and and I'm glad they call and ask for prayer. But where have they been the other 364 days of the year? They got the plastic Jesus and they pull it out, and they go, it's time, we better pray, calamity has come, trouble is here. Where were they in the joy and the victory? Was there any like, hey, give God praise and glory and honor the King of kings and the Lord of lords because he came, and he delivered us, or he saved us. It's usually not in those times, it's in the down times. Now, whatever gets you there, I'm good with. So don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking anything. Whatever gets you to a place where you acknowledge Christ that's a good thing, and I encourage you to follow it. You know, I want to quickly go through a few things to put things in perspective about who we follow as Christians. Now, some of you guys are sitting out there, and you're like, you know what, I already know who I follow. Do we need to do this? And I'm telling you, yes, we do. We do need to do this. And yes, we do need to acknowledge together as a body of Christ, worshiping in one place together, we need to acknowledge who our Lord and Savior is unashamedly, You know, I got up this morning, and I have this little devotional on my phone, and sure enough, on the morning I'm going to preach about Jesus, do you want to know, and and this isn't like, you know, this isn't like some hokey, witchcrafty thing, or some lucky thing that happened, but this morning, I wake up, and I, it's about 5.30, I push the button for my morning devotional, and this is what comes up, 1 Peter 4.16, but it's no shame to suffer for being a Christian, Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. Like, that's not by chance. That doesn't just happen. There's a million other things in my devotionals besides that, and that's the key verse for this morning, and it reminded me again that it's no shame to suffer for being a Christian. We act like it. It hurts. It feels funny sometimes. But man, praise God for the privilege of being called by the name of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Oh my gosh. Praise God for that. You know, let's look a little bit at who he is. And we, we, had, a little, we had a few media issues this morning, so no worries. I'm going to ramble off a bunch of scriptures. And if you want a copy of them all, um, I'll furnish that afterwards. But I got to get through these because we have communion today. About 2.30, we'll be out of here. (laughs) Let's take a look at who God is. I'm going to be all over the Bible right now. 
In Revelation 1.8, it says something super important to me. It says he's the beginning and the end. Jesus, beginning and the end. In Isaiah 9.6, it says he's the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the prince of peace. In Psalm 89.27, it says he's the firstborn, the most exalted king of kings of the earth. In Hebrews 12.2, it says he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He, he wrote it. He perfected it. We should follow it. In Revelation 3.14, it says, he is the ruler of God's creation. He rules everything. In Romans 11.26, it says, he is the deliverer who will come from Zion. In Mark 1.24, it says, he's the holy one of God. In Isaiah 54.3, it says, he's the redeemer. In John 5.20, it says, he is eternal life. In John 8.12, it says, he's the light of the world. And in John 3.16, the one that we all know that the rest of the world doesn't know anymore. Let's say this together without looking. We should know this one. Let's give this a go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, depending on what version you learned that in, that's pretty darn good. And I am proud of our church for knowing John 3.16, the Bible school, Sunday school verse of all time. But you know what? Maybe John 3.16 needed to cool off a little bit. You know how things trend in our culture? People recite that over and over again, and things kind of, hmm, is there another verse that says those things? I know how people are. I know how I am. But it's funny when I come back to something that's pure truth, that it puts it all together for me, and I know where, I'm, where I need to be and who I need to follow. You remember the guys that bought the season tickets to every Monday, or they bought tickets to every Monday night football game? Have you heard of these guys? It was a ministry. The guy dressed up like a clown. It just doesn't go over so good anymore, the clown thing. Everybody's very afraid of clowns. And so you dress like a clown and hold a scripture, look out. But when I was a kid, you'd watch Monday Night Football, and you'd see every time that they kicked the extra point, that clown would be down in the end zone with the giant John 316 sign. And on national TV, over and over again, the whole world that was watching football would see John 3.16 in the end zone. Whether they liked it or not, it caused people to look at it. Well, then the guy found another guy that was as crazy as he was, and that guy dressed up like a clown and went to the other end zone. So on Monday night football games, you had both end zones covered with clowns with signs that said John 3.16. So every extra point, every touchdown, those guys were all over TV. They were even in Sports Illustrated. They, they had the sign. They never, nobody could ever hear what they were saying, but they read the sign, John 3.16. You know, it was a number of years ago that I met a guy, and, and I, I always knew John 3.16, so it kind of wasn't that big a deal to me to see that. I was like, everybody knows that. Everybody believes that. <laughs> oh my gosh, in this culture, that's crazy. Everybody doesn't. But I used to think as a kid, everybody must know this because we talk about it all the time in Sunday school, home, and at church. So I was with this guy, um, and he uh, played basketball at the UW, and we were having this long talk, and this guy was not a follower of Christ. He was struggling, and we were sitting in my car one day, and we were talking, and he said to me, I asked him, I said, hey man, do you know Jesus? Have you met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he goes, yeah, 
And I said, how do you know that? And he said, John 3.16. And I said, okay, do you know what John 3.16 says? And he spit out kind of a paraphrased version of it, but he got it. He knew God loved him. God gave up Jesus. And because he accepted Jesus into his life, he'd have eternal life. And I said, where'd you learn that? Did you learn that at Young Life or high school or where'd you learn it? And he goes, you know the funniest thing? I'm a huge football fan. (laughs) And I would see John 3.16 all the time at games. I'd see it on the signs. And so one day, because I don't come from a family of believers at all, I opened up a Bible and I read John 3.16. And for some reason, that verse took hold of me. And it made me know for the first time that God loved me, God had some kind of a plan for me, and that if I would believe in who Jesus was, that I'd have eternal life. Do you think I'm saved? And I was like, I don't know. Let's keep going a little bit. As we talked, you know, he had prayed and asked Christ to come in. Yeah, he was saved. Was he living the life? Was he using the plastic Jesus? Absolutely, he was. But you know what? Some of us have to live like that for a while before we catch on. Some of us have to struggle a little bit. We're not as quick of learners as everybody else. And sometimes it takes a bit to find that passion and that fire for Jesus Christ. So as I got to know this guy and talked to him more and more, we started talking about who is Jesus. And as you learn who Jesus is, you start to realize how badly you need him. And as you learn how badly you need him, all of a sudden, because we're people who work out of need, we start gravitating closer to Jesus. And then what's the next step for people who need Jesus? They want all the answers. And so then you're like, well, here's the book that contains all the answers. Let's start reading this. And you see how it goes. And on and on it goes. But today, when we're in a culture that is so anti-Christian to some degree, simple verses like that, they just get overlooked and they get trivialized because people have heard them so many times. So our job as Christians, little Christs, walking with Jesus, trying to make a difference in our world, and, and I have to be honest with you, if you are a Christian and you're here today, if, you, if you're not a Christian and you're here today, you've got an excuse right now. So hang on to it. But if you are a Christian, we have no excuse not to try to make a difference in our world. We have no excuse not to try to make a difference in our world. No excuses. If you know that Jesus that we just read 14 verses about, and we put him in his proper place, in the proper perspective, we should be in awe and on our knees in front of him. And we should be asking every single day when we get up, what can I do today, Lord? What do you have for me today, Lord? Use me, shape me, mold me, you know the song. And so when we're talking about this Jesus, we have to remember that he's not our BFF, our little best friend, our little buddy, our good luck charm. You know, to know Jesus is to be humbled by him. If you know Jesus, you're humbled by him. To serve him, To know Jesus is to serve him, to worship him, to follow him. You cannot worship or follow or serve something you don't know or someone you don't know and believe in. It's impossible. It's going through the motions. So I want to ask you this morning in conclusion, this Jesus, 
This image of the invisible God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, are you willing to do whatever it takes, church? Are we willing to do whatever it takes? Are we willing to be nicer to each other? Are we willing to look at the people in here that you have something against or somebody's wronged you or hurt you? Are you willing to look at that person and, to, and ask for forgiveness from them? Are you willing to accept forgiveness without being arrogant? Yeah, I know you hurt me. Thanks. Are we willing to be humble? Are we willing to let go of the past and move on to what Christ has in the future? If you want this generation to be won over for Jesus Christ, then please lead the way. Please lead the way. Feels like sometimes the church is half-hearted about what we do. And we all get carried away in our own personal hurts and our own personal issues. But isn't that what God came to redeem? And when people around us are trying to make a change and they're trying to do something better, don't stand over them and tell them how bad they've been. Encourage them on towards love and good deeds because that's what Jesus says. Forgive them, move on. But until this group, until Christians are willing to start living like that, you might as well forget trying to bring Jesus into the millennial culture because they don't want to hear it. They want to see it. They want to chew on it for a long time. They want to spit it out a few times, chew on it some more, and then maybe come around. So it means the issue for the church today and for us, if we want to introduce the real Jesus Christ to this culture, it means that we have to live it. And man, I am so challenged by that because it's so much easier for me to just walk around like a jerk all the time than it is for me to be humble and for me to encourage everybody around me towards love and good deeds. There's days when I'm completely selfish and those are those days I have to throw myself on the mercy of Christ, my Redeemer, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I have to let him work his way in me. Join together join together and be different and live different. Not like Ryan at the beginning who can speak it really well, but his life shows absolutely no sign of it. Jesus Christ came to seek and save that which is lost. And in Matthew 7, 7, lastly, ask and seek and knock. Look that one up for yourself. Matthew 7, 7 through 12. Ask and seek and knock. If you're struggling with any of these things, ask and seek and knock, and pound, and beat on the door until something happens. But never, ever, ever give up, because Jesus does not give up on us. Amen?